All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 352 points, or 1%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 82 points, or 1.8%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 307 points, or 2.2%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 4.4%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 7.3%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 11.8%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, we had another attack of the Fridays this past week on Wall Street. Now, I thought it was we are going to have a, a, an attack of the Thursdays, or I should say an attack of the uh, Jim Bullards, uh, the uh, Fed governor and, from right. the St. Louis Bank. And as I've said, I don't know. How many years have I been talking about this Fed governor on the Money Wise program? It's gone back several years, and I've said that any time James Bullard opens his mouth, if you're shorting the market, you're almost guaranteed to make money for that day. And he struck once again on Thursday, coming out and opening his mouth, stating that he thinks that the Fed should raise rates by 50 basis points in their March meeting. And then later in his conversation, she says, I think they should also do a full percentage increase, a full 1%, 100 basis point increase in their July meeting, and the markets made it in an, an abrupt about face. Well, the markets were already down Thursday, but they were actually holding up well when the uh, when the CPI inflation number. numbers, when the CPI oh. number came out, which we'll get into in just a minute. And I was actually optimistic with how the market was digesting the inflation data that came out on Thursday. But then here comes James Bullard, opens his mouth, and then the markets just absolutely started going south after what he said. Now, overnight, Thursday to Friday, things were starting to look up. And on Friday, we had, you know, kind of a mixed bag until Vladimir Putin 
and the whole situation with Russia and Ukraine reared its ugly head, and the machines just took over in the second part of Friday to close and really cause this week's negative return for the market. Yeah, we were, All we were headed, Friday. headed into Friday. We were actually positive for the week. All that was reversed uh, with the news that came out. I think it was later in the day on, on uh, Friday. But, yeah, you're right, exactly right, Kyle. I, I just, like yourself, I was encouraged the way the market was reacting to that hotter-than-expected consumer price number, which showed a the index gained six-tenths of a percent in uh, the month of, of uh, January. I think the markets were expecting a four-tenths of a percent increase, with the year-over-year number coming in at 7.5%, the biggest year-on-year increase since February of 1982. Mm-hmm. 40 years. So uh, the market digested that very well until, like you said, Kyle, Kyle's buddy Fed Bullard. Governor. Yeah, until What's Fed that? Governor Bullard. Yeah, my buddy Bullard. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, if, if Bullard is going to speak, and if you're a day trader, you know, a double or triple short S&P 500 exchange traded fund for just a short, I'm talking less than a full day hold period, you almost be assured to make some money when so he opens saying, up his mouth. So, so why why is he coming in? Why is he coming to the uh, CNBC on Monday and granting an interview? That'll be an uh, interesting interview because he's putting shorts into his portfolio. I swear, <laughs> he, he is he, again. The Fed the Fed has been catching some fire about trading their own portfolios. Uh, I well, swear hold this on, guy hold on, ladies makes a and gentlemen, and he's, says. He's kidding. He's just kidding. I'm totally kidding. This is tongue in cheek. But he calls and says, you know, Blue Horseshoe loves Anacott Steel. That means (laughs) buy the double double short exchange traded fund for the S&P 500. And for our listeners that don't know that quote, that's from the movie Wall Street. It's almost like you could throw out the past performances, no indication of future performance, except when Bullard talks. Except when he talks. Then you know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I would love, I would love actually some analysts on Wall Street to go back over the years and see how the market performs every time he comes out with a statement. And I would just, just put myself on a limb and say probably eight times out of ten, the market goes down when he talks. And of course on Friday, a lot of other Fed governors came out and, and almost came after him and said, we do not agree with his very hawkish point of view. And what he said yesterday, we don't agree with. And so the market, of course, liked hearing that, and that's what helped uh, increase the futures before the market opened on Friday. And so, like you said, Jeff, until we had this whole situation late Friday afternoon with Russia continuing to increase troops on the border of Ukraine, and I believe a news story came out where they said that the that the generals in Russia have been given the order from Putin to attack whenever they were ready, and then that triggered the the algorithms, that triggered the machines, and then here comes the selling. So we'll see what happens over the weekend. Plus, it's a weekend. Plus, it's a weekend. People, the the traders tend to square up and you know get flat, as they say, meaning they don't have any have hardly anything in their portfolio setting into the weekend. There's been there ha, there just hasn't been a lot of buying interest to me from the uh, institution from in, institutions from retail. I, I mean, with the with the Nasdaq down almost twelve percent for the year, 
And, you know, some of these tech stocks that were darlings, 2019, 2020, 2021, uh, down 20% or more in just a handful of weeks. Uh, if you, if you came into the party late in some of these stocks, you're, you're looking at double digit negative returns. Not necessarily gonna, buying the dips, which has been the, 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 Right thing to do, if you will, for the last couple of years hasn't been working here of late. And that's got some of the retailer, they think it's got some of the retail investors spooked and they're, they're, uh, not participating. All right. Well, let's take our first com- commercial break. We'll pick this topic up and continue to recap Wall Street from last week. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or through any of your favorite podcast streaming apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So continuing, if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, just recapping Wall Street from last week before we went to break. Again, had an attack of the Fridays where the losses for the week were made all in Friday. And really after lunch, when the announcement came out, supposedly the orders have come down from Vladimir Putin to his generals that the troops can attack Ukraine at any time. Now, here's the question I have for investors. What does Russia attacking Ukraine have to do with Apple? What does it have to do with Microsoft? What does it have to do with Coca-Cola? What does it have to do with Walmart? Nothing. Has absolutely nothing to do with it. The selling that we saw is done by these computers, by algorithms that are constantly looking for headlines, looking for geopolitical risks, looking for statements from Fed governors like we saw on Thursday with James Bullard, the St. Louis um, Treasury you know, Treasury Federal Governor, Reserve Governor. Fe- Fe- Federal Reserve Governor. I'm so mad at, I can't even get his exact title <laughs> out down. about what he Calm said down. on Thursday. Because I know Joe in our office here in San Antonio when he said something, uh, Joe can't repeat what I said, but let's just say that there was a lot of seven deadlies that you can't say on the radio show that came out of my mouth because he had no business saying what he was saying. So. So bottom line is, is for an investor, this is where, and we talk, we've been talking about this for a couple of months now on the Money Wise program, and we've been just warning all investors that 2022, there's going to be a lot more volatility. And so far, 2022 has definitely been lived, has lived up to the billing that we've kind of warned investors. And so this is when you have to, again, keep your emotions in check and keep a longer term perspective. And Jeff, you were mentioning some of these tech stocks that have been darlings 2019, 2020, 2021, that are down some 20, 25, 30, 35, even some 40% off of 52-week highs. And at Davidson Capital Management, we're long-term investors. 
And that's what we advise for our listeners to maintain that long-term perspective. Because even if a particular tech stock that has strong, solid fundamentals that might be down 20, 25, 30% of its 52-week high, maintaining that longer-term perspective and being patient, that patience will be rewarded over the longer term. So that's why keeping emotions in check is such a key. I think one thing we should talk about um, in the portfolio is in a week that like we just had where, where yields, you know, yields definitely ramped up. Uh, Thursday's CPI number definitely got the attention of bond investors and we were, we got up over 2% yields on the 10 year treasury. Uh, I believe it was late Thursday, maybe it was early Friday morning. Uh, yields that we haven't seen since pre COVID. I believe it was the early part. Right? 2019, I believe, yeah. I believe it was like late 2019, early 2020. We're in and around that 2% yield. That's this magical number. You know, this is this line in the sand, this line in the sand that'd be created by the, the, the financial entertainment press. It's another algorithm. Like the I'm end, sure. the end of capitalism as we know it occurs. At at two percent ten year treasury yield. So let's, as Dad would say, if he was here, I'm not going to say it. Uh, You know, child, please give me a break. You know, it's not the end of capitalism as we know it with two year two percent ten year treasury yields. When we when we started 2021, uh, pardon me, 2022, we had made uh, some changes in the bond portfolio that uh, were. Very, yeah, very different than the kind of changes that we would typically make, uh, in our 30 year history of managing, managing bonds. Uh, we were aggressive sellers of our long maturity bonds, though we weren't, uh, we've never been, uh, invested. We have, we have not been invested in, in bonds beyond five year maturities for a number of years. You'd have to probably go back five, six years ago. Even then, if you could find any bonds in our portfolio that had maturities greater than five years. And this, we're going into 2022. We, we had sold all of our bonds in our portfolio that matured in the years 2026 and 2027 across the board. And these are in our accounts that own individual bonds. And we almost pulled the trigger on our, on our bonds that matured in 2025, but chose to hold off on those a little longer. Well, this week after that that CPI number was announced on Thursday, the decision was made was to be was to begin uh, selling our bonds in the year twenty that matured in the year twenty twenty five, and the bond the bond market on that particular day, I must say, was a little stressed. That was Thursday. Uh, things were moving very fast and furious, as I would say, and and I. Uh, we sold as many bonds as we reasonably thought, uh, that we could at, at the most reasonable prices that we could get for those bonds in our portfolio. Uh, along with, you know, we, we'd increased our, uh, exposure to our floating rate ETF a few weeks ago, which I think we might have mentioned on last week's show or the one previous. We have not increased our short position. Uh, in bonds, uh, we have considered it, but have chosen right now to not increase it. And what's that, what that's delivered so far is, you know, we've really outperformed, uh, you know, substantially on the bond side. I know, you know, we're probably about a percent ahead 
of the of the indexes when it when it on the bond side and a percent doesn't sound like much, uh, but a percent ahead in less than two months uh, is pretty darn good. So I think you know the strategy on the bond side that we've employed this year has been pretty solid. And I would I would tell our listeners, and, and you know we say this all the time: understand what you own in your target date funds or your balanced mutual funds, or if you still own any bond mutual funds in your portfolio, we sold our bond mutual funds a long time ago. We exited those in our mutual fund accounts a long time ago in, in favor of a floating rate ETF and a, and a short bond ETF. Joe, you want to add something well, it, there? It, it, to just point, if you're looking at your 401k statements or whatnot, and you're looking at what bond funds you have available. I'm looking at a particular bond ETF. Well, you would think an inflation-protected bond would be pretty solid, and Jeff and I were talking about it earlier this week. We'll get an inflation-protected uh, bond position that's down 3.75 for the year. Well, what's the S- what's the Dow Jones down for the year? 4.4? 4. 4.4. So that's a, remember, remember, remember all this hoopla and how, yo, yeah, these Treasury-indexed-protected securities, you know, they're going to they're going to – Tips for short. They're, they're going to protect you in in a high inflation environment. And ladies and gentlemen, they're not protecting any portfolio from anything right now. And the re and we we've, we've been warning folks about this. We've talked about this before. It's like, the, the how problem is CPI up here? Yeah, and the bond fund is down three point seven five. The problem with the tips is is that they are long. You know, they are very long maturity instruments. And so in a rising interest rate environment, the principal loss due to the change in interest rates overwhelms any benefits from the inflation protected part of the bond. So it does, if you, if you look at performance on these instruments year to date, they are one of the worst of the bonds. Uh, I'm looking at a, a, just a, all the tips of all different maturity links down minus four and a half, almost minus four and a half percent for the year. Ooh, well, the wow. entire aggregate of U.S. corporate investment grade instruments, that's all corporate Ag- investment grades instruments of any maturity, whether it's one year or 30 years or longer, they're down almost five and a half percent year to date through Thursday. Ouch. So, you know, even you, you know, high yield, high yields not getting hit as bad as the tips or as bad as the aggregate U.S. corporate index. But, you know, they're all negative. They're nothing but negative numbers in, in the, on the bond side of the equation. And we don't it's, recommend, and we don't recommend high yield because you don't want to use yeah. bonds to increase volatility in your portfolio or, or increase your risk profile or what's called your beta. By using a fixed income instrument, and to the people that have, to our listeners that do participate in a 401k, if you have a stable value option in your 401k and you don't have a floating rate corporate, you know, high grade floating rate corporate bond mutual fund or ETF available in your 401k, then you need to be looking at a stable value position if you don't have it available. And not every 401k plan in the menu available or the investment options available in the overall program, make that available. 
But sometimes in this interest rate environment, sometimes just having the fixed income portion of your portfolio in cash is the wisest move. Cash is a fixed income instrument. It is a fixed income instrument. It's going to be eliminating your interest rate risk, and it's going to protect your principal as interest rates move higher. But if you do have a stable value option in your 401k, we would highly recommend you utilize that. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi or San Antonio office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, before we went to the bottom of the hour commercial break, we were just talking about bond, bond mutual funds, bond investments, the changes that we've been making in our portfolio all year. And I was making the comment for our listeners that are participating in 401ks to keep a sharp eye on if you are investing in bond mutual funds to take a look at what you're actually invested in. And if your bond, and it's not your bond, but if your 401k has a stable value option in this interest rate environment, that might be the best decision to shift those fixed income assets into that stable value fund if you don't have a floating rate, higher grade corporate bond floating rate investment option available, or if you don't have any of them, if you don't have a stable value, you don't have a floating rate option, maybe just putting the portion of your 401k that you want to have in fixed income to place it into cash in this interest rate environment that's going to be increasing as we get further into the year. That might be the base, best place to go. But here's the, here's the real unusual situation with the markets because, you know, when you look at the three major macro asset classes, you have cash, you got fixed income, and you have stocks, fixed income being bonds. So you kind of have these three main macro asset classes. It's very unusual in any given market year where you have both bonds and stocks so far negative for the year. And Jeff, last segment was going through the comparative indexes, the U.S. aggregate bond index, the high yield index. I mean, all of them negative. Stock market is negative, whether it's the Dow, the S&P, or the NASDAQ. It's very unusual to have both bonds and stocks negative at any given time in the year. So here's the question. Bonds are negative because money is coming out of the fixed income market. Obviously, money is coming out of the stock market as we've gone through these corrective moves so far the first six weeks of the year. So then my question is this, where is all the cash going? Because if you look at the international markets and emerging markets, they're not hitting the cover off the ball. They're negative as well. So we're building up this liquidity this liquid cash on the sidelines, and eventually this cash is going to have to find a new home. And so where is that home going to be? So let's fast forward and say that we get the 10-year treasury at 2.5% or 2.75%. 
is a 10-year treasury at 2.5% going to be putting any retiree on easy street? Even if inflation comes down, let's just say inflation's at 4%. Right now, it's 7.5% from the consumer price index standpoint. That's not putting anyone on easy street. So what do you have left to help combat monetary inflation? Well, that's the stock market. Stocks are the historic hedge against monetary inflation. So eventually, all this liquidity that's building up on the sidelines is eventually going to have to be coming back in. And I personally don't think that it's going to be flowing in hand over fist into the fixed income market, but eventually come back into the stock market. So then the big question investors have over their mind, well, when is that going to occur? Well, the Federal Reserve has their meeting in March on March the 16th. So we're basically a month and five days away from that. For them to finally announce that they're going to raise interest rates, they're going to end quantitative easing, they're going to raise rates at 25 basis points or a quarter of 1%. My big question to y'all is do you think that we've been in a situation where we're selling of the rumor and trying to handicap the market of how big the interest rate increase is going to be and how many interest rate increases we're going to see this year and maybe start seeing some more calmness coming in after we get the first interest rate increase to a, that's going to occur on March the 16th and see some buying coming back in on the stock side. I, I would say, yeah, I think that's a reasonable expectations. I think the markets right now are trying, like you said, Kyle, trying to price in, trying to handicap how many of these, how many interest rates increases we're going to have. And I've, I've talked about this on previous shows that uh, I think it was 05 and 06. We, the, we had over a dozen interest rate increases, uh, in that time period in the market. The, the markets were up both years as measured by the S&P 500. But there's a lot of other things that come into the equation, uh, there's the geopolitical side. There's the fact that we've been up double digits three years in a row. There's the political side. You know, what happens in, in the midterms here at the end of the year? Uh, there's the earnings side. Um, also, yes. what, what, how much is supply chain really part of inflation? I think don't think anybody can really answer that definitively is, is the supply chain situation. How much is that attributed to inflation right now, Jeff? So, if we keep raising rates, when is that going to end? When are we going to say, anyways? Well, I, I, I was, happened to be at a car dealership this morning and I needed to replace a, a rim on my wife's vehicle that was purchased in the summer of, two, of 2020. And I've been trying to replace it now for more than a year. And I went to the parts desk and I asked him, is this rim available to be purchased? He says, no, it's on national back order. And I said, I checked on this six months ago. And it was on back order, and it's still on back order. So, and it's been two years, and we're we're approaching two years since COVID started. Uh, did anybody expect that we'd have continue to have the disruptions that we've had two years later? I mean, how long it took us to get computers for our office? It took six weeks from the time I ordered it to the time the last piece of piece of equipment arrived. That was unheard of just a couple of years ago. You're getting stuff overnight, you know, two days, three days. Yes, Kyle. Well, I will say the one, there were some bright spots that came out this past week where they were showing that they're starting to build back some inventory. 
I read a, a, an article Friday morning that Toyota production is starting to ramp up. And so they're saying, well, if Toyota is finally able to start increasing production on their vehicles and they're getting a hold of their processors and their chips, then it's only going to be a matter of time. Now, obviously, what's happening in Canada with the convoy and shutting down of the international bridge between uh, Detroit yeah. and all that might cause some short-term deals. Some, some yes. short-term deals as far as as far as car manufacturing goes. And I think to Dad's point on last weekend's show where he feels pretty confident that Joe Biden is going to announce on March 1st during the State of the Union address that all the federal mask mandates and all the mandates revolving around COVID are going to be lifted. And I'm going to say that Dad's going to be, I think, about 99.8% that he's going to be accurate because the U.S. truckers convoy is supposed to begin in Southern California on March the 5th. And they don't want to have the same situation that's occurring in Canada because it really shows that truckers are really the lifeblood of our entire, you know, a big part, almost the lifeblood of our economy getting everything from food to supplies to medical, everything that we possibly need has to come to us via a truck. You know, rail might get us to a certain distance, but the truck is going to be the final step. And I can tell you that our old Dominion position in our portfolios have made a lot of money for our clients, and we've owned this position for years. And it's had a very nice run here of late also. And so – you know, going back, Joe, to your point and just talking about inflation, going back to inflation, and I know we've had a lot of debates here on this program, and I, and I came across an article on Friday, and this comes from Market Watch, and it's titled, Inflation Fears Are Overblown, Five Reasons Why You Need to Buy the Dip in the Stock Market. And one of the first reasons is supply chain issues are, it's a fixable problem. Now, this is a fixable problem that's going to take time in order for it to work out because what we have had is we've had an imbalance due to COVID. You know, when COVID lockdowns came, you know, we had more of an even balance of, of consumers going and spending money on services and spending money on goods and products. Well, when you lock everyone down because of COVID, well, guess what? All the money being spent on supply, on, on services is not being spent anymore. So now you've got all this excess cash. So what are you going to do? You're going to be sitting at home. You're going to be shopping on Amazon. You're going to be on Etsy and you're going to be buying products. Well, this huge demand in products creates an inventory issue where there's not enough supply. And to compound the problem with supply is you don't have people working because of the lockdowns. So then that strains the capacity even further. Well, as they say, this too shall pass. So if we lift all these mandates, if this comes March 1st and all these federal mandates end, we get everyone back to life as normal, now we're going to see more of a shift away from consumers spending money solely on products, and it's going to be coming and creating more of an equilibrium to be buying more services. This will help alleviate the strain on the supply chain for products and give the supply chain time to catch up. Plus, getting people back to work to create the products and start building inventory. Because, Jeff, I know one of the 
one of the statistics that came out this past week was we're starting to see some inventory build from a product standpoint, which is a good thing. But it is going to take time. This isn't going to be solved in a quarter. It's not going to be solved in six months. But as this year goes on into 2023, I think we'll start to see inflation numbers start to tick down incrementally, which can also give the Fed cover to walk more slowly in their hawkish monetary policy. When we come back from the break, I want to finish this article, uh, The Five Reasons Why You Should Be Buying the Dip, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, Take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, and we're just making a transition talking about all the cash sitting on the sidelines, the fact that we've got bonds negative, we have stocks negative, and eventually all the liquidity that's being built up on the sidelines is going to have to find a place to go, a home to roost. With a 10-year treasury, let's say 2 2.5%, it's, again, it goes back to Tina. There is no alternative. So eventually I, f- I feel secure in saying that these monies – these, this liquidity is going to eventually find its way back into the stock market. And I think we could be churning in the market up until we get to the Federal Reserve's meeting in March, which occurs on March the 16th, where they finally raise interest rates for the first time, which they haven't done in years. So I ran across an article, getting back to this article, titled, Inflation Fears Are Overblown, Five Reasons Why You Need to Buy the Dip in Stocks. And before we went to the last break, we talked about reason one, the supply chain issues are a fixable problem, and we kind of described the equilibrium between services and products, and as we lift these mandates and we get back to life as normal, we'll start to see more of an equilibrium. Reason number two is the demand shock is starting to wane, and again, we heard this past week that there's been some building of inventories. I read a report that Toyota has been increasing the production of vehicles, and so this will continue to work itself out over a period of time, and I'm not saying it's going to be corrected in a quarter might or two quarters. I mean, this is going to be a situation we're going to have to work out over the course of this year going into next year. I mean, we didn't run into the situation overnight, so it's not going to take overnight for us to correct it, but we are starting to see these demand shocks starting to wane, and as more people get back out to life as normal, start um, – Spending money on services and less on products, this will also help. Looking at reason number three, productivity is coming to the rescue. Well, we saw the, you know, we had the employment report at the beginning of the month, which shocked everybody at 467,000 jobs created. So more and more people are getting back into the workforce. The participation rate hasn't changed that much, but I think some of the government statistics are forgetting about the worker that stayed on the job a lot longer, well past retirement age, that has finally retired, 
and is ridden off into the sunset, and we do need to get more people back into the workforce. But as all the stimulus money that was given during the COVID pandemic that finally gets spent and there's no more money in savings, that's going to, I would feel, motivate people to get off their couch, to get on their feet, and get out there and find a job, especially when we're starting to see some of the, again, wages that that a lot of businesses are are paying. In fact, I saw a flyer that Chick-fil-A paying 19, starting at $19 an hour at Chick-fil-A. I mean, mind-blowing as far as that level of pay. But I think we will continue to see wage inflation for, for many years to come. So, Well, the mar- if, if I could just stop you for a second, yeah. there was a time where we were, we were looking for wage inflation. It was, it was, we were looking for higher wages stagnant. for workers. And now we finally got them, and the mar- market's wringing their hands about them. It's kind of like oil prices. The markets are wringing their hands over higher oil prices and what that's going to mean but if the, if the Russians actually invade Ukraine, what that means for oil prices and they're wringing their hands, how that's what that's going to do for stocks. High oil prices have got to be bad for stocks. And I can remember just what, uh, five years ago, six years ago when we were watching daily as oil prices came down and the markets were all riled up about low oil prices and how it was affecting <laughs> stocks. So I remember that. What are you talking? You know, the market's always fearful of something. There's always something to be fearful of. What this was year, the wall of worry? There's well, always the wall of worry. Markets what are, are the two emotions? Fear, what are the two emotions? Fear and greed. Fear, and, fear greed. and greed. That's right. So number four reason to buy the dips is that the money supply is gro- the money supply growth is slowing, and so they showed actually a statistical chart going back to 2000 that when you have a lot more money supply and a lot of this money supply again coming from the stimulus money that was handed out to families across this country uh, during the during the COVID pandemic, having a lot more money means you get to do a lot more spending. You have limited supply, drives the prices up. But I, there's a t- statistical chart going back to 2000 that as the money supply starts to shrink, that also shrinks inflation. So this is another good sign that inflation is is going to start uh, waning as we get further off, you know, further down into the year. Reason number five is the dollar is strong. And what that means is with a strong U.S. dollar, it makes our products much more expensive to be exported to people outside the borders of the United States. So when you have a strong dollar, we're not going to be exporting as much goods to foreign countries because of that strong dollar, which, again, alleviates and gives us some relief in the supply chain, and in the production of products. So that's another good sign. So these are all the different signs that come together that will help monetary inflation. I think at the end of the day, this will give the Federal Reserve cover to not be as aggressive and not as hawkish in their monetary policy decisions. This is why I feel confident in saying that it's going to be a quarter of 1% increase on the Fed fund rate on their March 16th meeting, not a half of 1%. And I don't think, as James Bullard said, uh, the uh, Fed Fed chair, the Fed governor out of St. Louis, that we're going to see a 1% increase of the federal funds rates in in the July meeting. I don't see that happening because we have all of these. Did he mean by July or at? I don't think he meant at the July meeting. 
I think he said at the July meeting a one full one percent increase. Yeah, I would have to so get out of my history history book. I think it's been twenty plus years since we've had a one percent increase at any Fed meeting. So I think that's highly unlikely to happen. And next week, one we have a bunch of economic statistics next next week. One of them being producer prices on Tuesday. So another little measure of, of inflation. But we also have the, the Federal Open Market Committee minutes from the previous meeting that are coming out on Wednesday. And I guarantee you the market and the machines will be parsing every single word of those minutes to try to fi- get any idea what's going to happen in March. Because the correction in January started when they read the December meeting, uh, mm. uh, the meeting minutes. So you're absolutely right on that, Jeff. But I will say, what all investors need to do is put together your buy list. Always have your buy list ready. Not saying this is the, the correct time to be jumping in, but you always want to have that buy list ready. And right now there's still a lot of good discounts, but maintain your emotions, keep them in check and maintain that long-term perspective inside your investment portfolio. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. And when we come back from the top of the hour, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com if you missed the first hour of money wise you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past money wise programs You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at DavidsonCap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, it's about time. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your politeness. Well, as we we like to use and utilize uh, the second hour of every weekend's Money Wise program, really going into investor education and just again the continuing education that all investors need to be paying attention to because with the multitude of investment choices the multitude of sales outlets i should say uh to be buying different financial products um we feel it's our duty having a voice and having this radio show to to continue to provide that that education and there is an article that we've had for some time. We've talked about it on past shows, but it's always good to to reiterate. And it's a conversation I know that I have with prospective clients when it comes to investing. Um, 
and the the title of the article is the best investment advice ever. <laughs> now, there's so much different advice out there, different guidance, different forms and levels of education out there. Um, you know, looking at this article, there's a very old saying that I know we have used from day one and of course with us uh, you know being in this having Davidson Capital Management for more than 25 years and and again this radio show going on now in our 10th year um, looking at at rule number one for the best investment advice ever and that first rule is never lose money rule number two don't forget rule number one and I believe that uh, that was one of Warren Buffett's Famous advice, and of course Warren Buffett being one of the richest men in the world, um, I think uh, it's good. It's good words to live by. And and when I sit down with prospective clients, the one the one area again of education I like to focus on is teaching a prospective client that it's not as much how well you do on the upside when the market is going up; it's how shallow you keep your hole on the downside it's it's whoever plays the best defense is what's really going to build long-term wealth and longevity of a portfolio rule this rule number 1 don't you think it's kind of unrealistic to say never lose money well and 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 again investors need to keep in mind there's a difference between realized losses and unrealized losses or paper losses uh, maybe rule number 1 should should read more like never put all your eggs in one basket never but put, but define never, that okay. define that a little okay. bit more okay, eggs in one basket never put 100% of your money in one asset class how's that Okay. Never put 100% of your money in stocks. Give us an asset class. Like, are Never. you talking sector specific, like no. all in real estate investment trusts or all in the material sector or all in technology? I think I think really the rule number one to me, and it kind of goes along the same lines as what you're talking about with keeping the hole shallow, is there's no, no such thing as never lose money. I mean, every investment – we have never had an investment decision that we've made – in the 25 years as Davidson Capital Management, every investment decision that we've made has not always made money. Some of those investment decisions have lost money. There isn't a single person on the planet that's made an investment decision that hasn't lost money at one time or the other. The the really successful people in investing never lose a lot of money. Now, keeping a that lot whole of money, shallow. keeping the whole shallow, as you were saying, and 2008 is is a great example of keeping the hole the, the hole as shallow as possible because we were never 100 percent invested in stocks that year, and we were also reducing stocks as that year went on, and so we 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 didn't suffer the 35 our clients' portfolios didn't suffer the 35 40. 50% losses that the investors that we saw come to us in 2009 and 2010, and we asked them, you know, how did you do in 2008? And they said, well, I lost 40% or I lost more than 40%. We knew right then and there that they had way too much money in stocks, if not their entire portfolio in stocks, and it wasn't being managed properly, obviously. That's, that's a key. It wasn't actively managed. It was, and again, that set it and forget it mentality that said and forget it portfolio so 
the the rule number one, this never lose money, and rule number two, never forget rule number one, is all fine and good, but it's not realistic because if you're going to have a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds, cash, and all different types of asset classes, some of those asset classes aren't going to make money in a particular year. Some will. Uh, some will be more successful than others. But I think it's unrealistic to expect to never to lose money in, in investing. Because if, if rule number one, never lose money, that means you're never going to take risk. Which means you're going to be you're going to own CDs. Sorry to take your your thunder away there. You're going to own government bonds and hold them to maturity, or you're going to own CDs or cash, or you're going to have cash. Well, that I don't know too many investors that can reach their retirement goals uh, just by being in cash or government bonds. Well, and again, when you are invested and you're invested in the stock market, even the bond market. When you look at an unrealized gain and loss report, if you're showing some unrealized losses, those are paper losses. Those are losses that you have not taken. It's just on paper. It's just numbers. But that loss can be will become realized if you decide to sell out. And what happened to a lot of investors in 2008 is they watched the ride all the way down. And then they got to their maximum pain threshold, and what did they do? They sold. And for a lot of investors, after they did that sell and the selling they did, they have yet to get back in. That's why we continue to face the very thin market conditions, the whipsawing of the markets because there's fewer and fewer participants because they still have not gotten back in because they're still licking and and taking care of their wounds from 2008 because they sold out and turned those unrealized losses to realized losses. But if they had a proper allocation – and having their assets actively managed, they wouldn't have suffered as much pain and distress in their portfolio as we have seen doing our portfolio reviews and analysis of prospective clients. So, well, we're going to pause right there. We're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our investor education and talking about an article titled The Best Investment Advice Ever. And, you know, again, the old Warren Buffett saying, you know, rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. And us just kind of really discussing how that's kind of unrealistic. Um, because like Jeff, like you said in the last segment, you're going to run into some type of losses, be it unrealized or realized losses, at some point in time in your investing career, unless you're invested in cash, which is an investment, CDs, or government bonds. You know, you have to take a certain level of risk. You have to assume a certain level of risk to have the potential for capital appreciation and growth of your assets to meet your retirement goals or for whatever goals that you're saving for. And, Dad, I know that you wanted to, the big dog wanted to eat a little bit and had something to add to, to what, we were just talking about. Well, I think I originally said this to you when you guys came into the business. 
Oh, you've been the, saying this f- the, as long the, as the, I can remember. These were basic rules of investing. I, I honestly think this is a little bit of a Will Rogers comment. I, I'm not so sure that Warren Buffett didn't steal this from from, from Will Rogers. He never met a man he didn't like. And and and, and what th- this means, you know, this is you know this will be my 37th year, starting my 38th year of being a portfolio manager, not counting the four years as a broker and one year in graduate school. So you can add all that up, but. When I see this, what this really means to me is never lose big money. Never take big losses because you can't come back from them, whether it's financially or even psychologically. Hold on. Let me stop you right there. You just hit an important point. Psychologically. It's the psychological part part of this. Um, A lot of people get in investing they get in the game as jim kramer calls it it's not a game but they get in the game and they have some moderate success and then they start building their bet they start pushing pushing the chips and as they build their bet they will get to the point where they lose now to be successful the one thing that i have learned in my 37 plus years to be successful in investing you have to invest on a regular basis. You just can't do it once in a while. And if and you need to take a number of positions because as you take positions, your batting average gets better. And to be successful, it isn't participating when the markets go up, as you said. It's not losing as much going down. So I believe my personal success as an investor has come with my ability to sell I think I'm a lot better seller than I am a buyer. And, and and one thing that we say in this office, and this was definitely true in 2008, and of course, you know, this was prior to me joining the family's firm right. back. Jeff, I know you were here back during the dot com bubble burst, bursting of the of the dot coms. Um, is that when cert, when the markets and times just don't make sense? When what's up is down and what's down is up, when there's times where the market doesn't make sense, it never hurts to get more liquid and lay in the weeds. I know that's an old saying, Dad, that I've heard come out of your mouth for years, way before I even joined the family business, that it's okay sometimes to raise liquidity and lay in the weeds until things get a little clearer. Now, it's important for all investors to understand you're never going to have 100% clarity. The waters are never going to be 100% clear. There's always going to be some level of cloudiness, but in situations like the dot-coms, like 2008, uh, even like how you know how the markets have, have started off the past couple of years, um, things get a little clouded and get a little bit more whipsawish. And sometimes it's better to just kind of raise some cash and lay back until things start to pan out and make a little bit more sense. Because that's what we've been dealing with is some just counterintuitiveness that we've been experiencing in the market for the past couple of years. You know, and this led me to what we were talking about earlier, rule number one, never lose money. Never forget rule number one is rule number two. Well, if we were in an environment where government bonds was paying 9%, then a lot of people would be attracted to that. And and there and there's been times in my career when you could do that. And so there's a riskless return that would be that would be historically a good return. Unfortunately, that was occurring when inflation was at twelve, thirteen, fourteen. So you were losing, <laughs> losing to just inflation. like today. Mm-hmm. Just like today if you put too much in bonds versus what each individual person's inflation rate is. But 
what this really says is what y'all were talking about is that if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, if you're going to step out there and take that level of risk, then you are potentially putting yourself in a position to lose a substantial amount of your money and not have enough money to get back into the game, whatever game it is you're playing. But, so, but again, but again, we don't look at the market as no, a game. No, it's not a game. It's not a game at all. But if you are, if you're a trader, I would say a trader views the market somewhat as a game. I'd agree. If you're an investor, it's a serious game. And so, each individual has to decide what type of is he a trader? Am I an investor? Or is this trading money? Is this investing money? So, you, there's various pools that you could be doing, but. One thing that you cannot do is you cannot sustain large losses and be a successful investor or trader. So whatever methods you use to reduce your losses, your risk, your risk, you're going to have to take that. And if you don't determine a system that allows you to do that, you are not going to be successful. In the long term, absolutely. And, and and see, that's the thing, Dad, is I think for some investors, maybe the traders that view the market as more of a game, more of action, more Vegas style, they have a couple of big wins where they knock it out of the park, and that boosts their confidence, that helps them boost their, their maybe their trading and investing ego psychologically. That's when they start pushing over pushing the chips further and further over the line and bigger amounts of chips, then they strike out. Then they take that loss and then their the psychological aspect of it might be a loss so bad that they say to heck with the stock market, I'm never getting involved in it again. And what we've always advocated and always tried to teach is about a proper balance, about diversification. As Jeff said, not putting all your eggs in one basket, spreading out that risk, or to use a technical term, spreading out your beta. But you can't just spread it out and forget it. You have to continue to actively manage it, actively monitor it. And if you don't, then you need to work with a firm that's going to do that. I I learned many years ago that I was not a successful trader. Trading was not something that I was good at. I was good at looking at a longer picture. It fit my personality better to be an investor, plus by taking a longer-term view, thinking in terms in the stock market of actually owning the company that I was buying I found that that was more successful, and I learned that as a broker. I, I, I felt comfortable with that. What I didn't feel comfortable with was potential clients or new clients that had to have action because I don't necessarily think Wall Street is the best place to get action. I think you would be better off to go to Vegas because it doesn't require that much thinking if you need action. If you like to bet on football games. with If you need that fix. If you need that. And there are people that need that. But it, Wall Street can be a very dangerous place for people that need that type of fix. I have not run into that many successful people who have traded the market. I've run into many successful investors, very few successful traders. Well, and I think some some other points you made just a few minutes ago when we talk about risk capacity, about taking a big hit to your portfolio, and again, for continuing investor education, the older you get, the closer you get to your retirement 
I guess, date and time as far as your age, your risk capacity gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, you know, and I've run into people who have have very large risk, you know, very small risk tolerance, their personal aversion to risk, but they have huge risk capacity. And when you run into that situation, it's really they have their money invested very lazily. It's, it's very lazy money. It's very 4 and 5% returns when they should be taking advantage of their age. So the younger you are, the greater risk capacity you have. And so you have to really marry risk tolerance and risk capacity into one. Um, and that's, again, something else that we, that we try to teach. So just understand, as you get older, your risk capacity gets smaller, and you have to have your portfolio managed and allocated in a way that reflects that risk capacity. What you see on CNBC, and we don't spend that much time watching any of the other channels, but what we see on CNBC is a parade of traders, Parade of people looking for action, daily action, weekly action, fast money, fast money. You know, everything is geared towards trading. trading. Mm-hmm. That is that segment of the market. That is not a segment that Davidson Capital Management has ever participated in, or would feel comfortable being in. And so, when we sit here and we talk about what we see. We don't necessarily feel that that type of program serves the public to the extent it could. That's right. Well, with that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. So we'll take the break and we come back. We'll be continuing our investor education, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to cover here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing talking about the best investment advice ever article that comes from Market Watch and the Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, Dad, I, as you were talking in the last segment, you know, you mentioned Jim Cramer's name. And I know there's a segment on his show that he loves to do where people call in and say, am I diversified? And they give him five stock names. And he'll either anoint it as being you're diversified or you're not diversified. And when I watch that, I, to me, it seems like it's a disservice to the investing public because what he is basically um, validating is that it's okay to put 20% of your money in one particular stock position, to hold five individual stocks, and as long as those five individual stocks are in five different industry sectors, then you're okay, you're safe. And I think that is some of the most dangerous advice you could possibly give with with his type of background and acumen as a money manager or as a hedge fund manager, I should say. Well, I I, I don't agree with it. Dangerous. Uh, it's dangerous if you don't watch your eggs real close. If you only got five, uh, <laughs> you're making I you're mean, making big bets in, in on the, five in the, companies. In the beginning, in the beginning, when I created uh, the philosophy, uh, it became apparent to me that I didn't ever want more than five percent in anything because i learned very quickly that if i bought 
five percent uh, of your assets in one individual well, position. Yes, if I bought ten positions, three point five of them were going to be losers, but I loved all ten, mm-hmm. and so when I got it out to twenty, then I'm going to have six losers in normal markets. Mm-hmm. And the key was having the six losers not be big enough losers to overset the profits that were in the other 14. Well, if I'm Jim Cramer and five is my diversification, I sure hope it's not my six losers because then my every five, those whole five positions would be losers. So to me, that was not enough positions to be diversified. That was very concentrated. And to be that concentrated, I don't want you to think you're diversified. You are not diversified with five positions. I mean, you might you are, be you might be diversified in the sense that you're in five different industry sectors, but you're making a very large bet on one company in that and, industrial sector. And I'll tell sector. you something else. If you limit yourself to that few of positions, you're either going to do extremely well versus the market or you're going to do extremely badly. You're, you're not going to crash do average. You're either going to do real well or real bad. So it's either a home run or a strikeout. Now, you can't build a business on real bad. Mm-mm. Now, he was successful as a hedge fund manager because he was a trader. He was not an investor. Long term to him could have been one day. So when you hear him discuss that, I mean, he can't do a show and do Am I Diversified and have someone giving 20 positions. So some of his Am I Diversified is for TV. For, well, it's for TV. He did it first on his radio show. Mm-hmm. That's where it started. He did that on the radio show. Now, he used to do radio and TV, and his radio show was really a whole lot better than the TV show. He didn't do all that screaming and jumping around like he does, and he would just talk, which I found better for investors to listen to. He was more investor-oriented as opposed to trading. So us saying that we believe you ought to have 20 positions gets back to this fact that we don't want more than 5% of any person's assets in one position. And we say that even in your company stock. If you're investing in your company stock, the stock where you work. Through your 401k. Yeah, we don't want more than 5% of your retirement money in the company stock. And I don't care how great the stock is. Because I happen to have seen times in my life where I worked for companies where people put a lot much, lot more in that, and then the companies went out of business. They not only lost their job, but they lost their retirement. And I, I can tell you that Jeff and I see this doing portfolio, doing portfolio reviews a lot with the petroleum industry employees, putting a lot of their retirement nest egg through 401ks in their company stock. And it's great to be supportive and it's great to love where you work and love who your employer is but you also have to kind of be a little selfish and think about your own retirement needs and your own retirement nest egg and not take too big of a bet because again harkens back to Enron it harkens back to WorldCom I mean it harkens back to those employees years ago who lost their nest egg because there was a lot of cheerleading from upper level management to buy keep keep funneling as much money in it as possible not saying that any companies in existence today are you know doing some of the fraudulent things that that these companies were doing but you always have to look out for kind of number 1 i mean you have to look out for number 1 when you're saving for retirement and you know another thing that i like to teach particularly when it comes to long term investing 
and when it comes to performance. I always like to use the analogy is you have to look at your investment returns like a batting average, like a batting average for a baseball player. You know, let's use Ted Williams or let's use Tony Gwynn. Uh, you know, rest, may he rest in peace. Let's use him as an example. You know, baseball players can get into the Hall of Fame with having a great lifetime batting average, but throughout their career, throughout the lifetime of them stepping up to the plate, they're going to have years where they underperform where they don't have a good year at the, uh, up at the plate and they don't bat very well and they have low numbers. And then they're going to have other years where they have some average years. And then they're going to have some great years where they're knocking the cover off the ball. But what determines whether or not a baseball player gets into the Hall of Fame is their lifetime batting average, and it's the combination of all of those years and how they've performed. It's the same thought process and the same thought pattern you need to have when it comes to investing. You're going to have some below average years. You're going to have some just average years and you're going to have some great years, but the key is is to have more great years than bad and average years to get your portfolio to the Hall of Fame. Well, here's a little commercial coming in here. 25, this is our 26th year, and I was talking about I'm starting my 38th year as a manager. There was 12 years in there before Davidson Capital Management was formed in which I developed our philosophy. And I developed it managing money under three or four different corporate situations where I learned what was working and what wasn't working. And, you know, I learned on other people's money, so to speak. But I learned through those years that 100% equity made no sense. 100% bond made no sense. But the two could work together in combination. But what I found was there wasn't – there were fixed-income people – and there were stock people. There wasn't both. You didn't see the hybrid. You didn't see the manager that could do both sides. And so as I, as I developed our philosophy, I learned that it made more sense to be 10 years and under. It made more sense to stick with quality because by sticking with quality, you took risk out. By having stocks and bonds, you took risk out. And by doing that, you raised your batting average. You made the hole shallower when you were losing in stocks you were making in bonds. And so in the beginning, oh, yeah, everyone knows the most money you can make is to be 100% in the stock market. And it works really good until 1987 rolls around and it goes down 25% in one day. That doesn't work very well. That wipes out a number of years in about four hours. And you learn, hey, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And same thing in the late 90s. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful when the dot-coms were going crazy, but it didn't look real good late in 2000, 2001, and two. And, you know, staying the course was really great in January, February, March of 2008. It wasn't very great in November, December 2008. Or, or January, February. there might not be a course to <laughs> stay. Nine. You might not have had enough course to have a meal well and and again that goes back to what we talked about a few segments ago about the psychological damage and i know that we've talked on past shows here on money wise where we've talked about the psychological effects when you take these kind of losses and how again it, it creates that emotion and that fear and when fear and emotion start combining into your portfolio it keeps you sitting on the sidelines or it keeps you less invested in stocks to to really try to achieve and reach 
your goal for whatever you're saving for. And we're still seeing that today. I mean, again, we're seeing it today because we see the volatility. If there's more participants, more investors in this market, more mom and pop investors, we wouldn't see this extreme levels of volatility that we've been seeing. If we tax day trading, we wouldn't have this extreme volatility. Or if having. we tax high-frequency trading or got high-frequency well, trading under control. That's, that's what I'm saying. That would take care of that problem. The problem is, is that high-frequency trading is paying the note for the New York Stock Exchange. That's how they're making their money. They are never going to go against that. For something to change in that market, it's going to have to come from outside. It's not going to come from within Wall Street. Well, really, what we have to have, Dad, is we have to have a nonprofit exchange. We have to well, have yeah. a nonprofit. You exchange. guys will see that. I'm, I'm convinced. You think Jeff and I will see? A I really think you. Will, I really think you in will our career, see that in your lifetime, you will see a national market. I mean, because that will take away the incentive for the high frequency yes. trading. I, I, and it'll be I welcome. It'll be somewhere in the central part of the country, away from Wall Street. I, I welcome that day. I welcome the day to where we see a nonprofit exchange and maybe just a one central exchange. Let me correct him. Jeff may not see it. I think you will see it, Kyle. <laughs> well, we're not that far away in age, so it's only about ten, less than ten, 10 years. years in there. All right. Well, let's take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-275. Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So going back to this article, there was a couple of other statements, and these actually come from Ben Franklin, and and one of them is an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. And again, one of the reasons why we started this radio show back in late two thousand and five was. Because it gave us a podium, it gave us a platform to provide education because there's just, uh, there's such a lack of education out there. And it seems like a lot of the education that is available has a particular bent. You know, it's trying to push you in a certain direction as an investor to buy an investment product that's being sold by the uh, financial legacy distribution system you know, as we like to call it, it always seems that education is kind of pushing you one direction or another, and we're trying to provide unbiased education. And as we always say to all investors is that, you know, there are so many tools available online for you to educate yourself. You know, when a, a pitch sounds too good to be true, it, it most likely is, and there's a lot of vehicles out there to help you to educate yourself. And so as Benjamin Franklin says, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. You really have to, you have to really let that kind of soak into you and utilize the tools available. You know, if you want to look up the broker that you're working with, go to brokercheck.com. You know, someone's pitching you an investment product. Before you sign on the line and which is dotted, look it up. Do some research. Educate yourself. You know, as we say, if you can't explain it to 
a five-year-old or a 10-year-old in two or three minutes and get them to understand that then you're probably it's not a good idea to buy. Um, another statement is beware of expenses. A small leak will sink a great ship. And, boy, how many times have we seen that, Jeff? You know, expenses is one thing that is easiest to control if you understand that you're getting charged more more fees than than you think you are to begin with. And I see this a lot with we see this a lot with annuities. Um, annuities, I think, are probably one of the biggest drains. challenges. I would say drains on, know, on assets. The biggest challenges to a portfolio being successful is is owning an annuity inside that portfolio because you're you're basically guaranteeing that you will never even equal a market average performance because the fees and expenses built into the 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 annuity itself even if it has the best possible investment options and trust me the average annuity does not have the best the best uh investment choices possible when you add up average investment choices with high expenses you're guaranteed to be below average consistently year after year after year after year and they're still sold they're they're still successfully selling them to investors every single day and we've in the 10 years that we've done this show we've almost made this our personal uh, mission, mission. There you go. <laughs> it's a personal mission. To, to, crusade. To, yeah, I like that. To steer crusade. people away from these types of investments. Now, there's also many other violators. You know, av- uh, uh, the the average loaded mutual fund carries uh, an initial sales charge that's equal to multiple years of professional full time investment management just to buy into the mutual fund itself they you know a minimum you know anywhere from two to three percent to as almost as much as six percent uh is very common in an upfront sales charge another thing is buying stocks you know just buying stocks through a full service broker and you're you're the average ticket price that i see from an from a full service broker is about two percent of the gross purchase and that is outrageous so you know, for five thousand dollar purchase, you're paying two hundred and fifty dollars in transaction costs. I mean, that's 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 a that's twenty uh, times egregious. more. That's twenty times more you'd pay at a at a, at a discount brokerage firm. Yes, well, you better well, be getting good advice if well, you're paying that kind of fee. Well, well, now, if that broker is giving you good advice and covers the two percent, that's one thing. But you and I both know. Unfortunately, the vast majority of them do not. Well, the one thing, again, talking about fees and, and what I, I like to, to do for any individual investor out there is to understand the two big types of fees. You have your hard dollar fees and your soft dollar fees. Your hard dollar fees are your upfront commissions. You know, those are the commissions that you see when you buy that mutual fund or you buy that stock and you pay that commission and you see it come right off the right off the top. You see that difference in what you're investing and what you actually paid and what was actually invested. That's a hard dollar cost. But where annuities, 
where non-traded real estate investment trusts, uh, where even mutual funds, once you get past that initial sales fee, really get their investors or get their clients is on the soft dollar side. Those are the fees that are accrued daily and taken out daily that you never see. When you get your statement from your, annu from your annuity, that's net of those soft dollar fees. When you get a statement about your stocks or your individual mutual funds, it's net of those soft dollar fees. Those are the fees that you don't see. Those are the fees that you also need to be asking about. And if you're sitting down and someone's pitching you an annuity and you ask them, well, what are the soft dollar charges, they're not going to know what to do. They're not going to know what to do, and they're going to start trying to provide you with the half-truths of what you're actually well, they're, spending. They're going to focus on these guaranteed returns. The G word. Yeah, the, yeah they're going to focus on the G word. Which, again, is not a guarantee. It's just a promise, and it's only as good as the company providing the promise. They're going to say, don't you want... 5% a year guaranteed income for the rest of your life. Don't you want that, Mr. or Mrs. Customer? And it's not quite that simple. Nope. And what they're talking about is the published interest rate, which changes monthly. It's just that hook to get you to sign on that line, and which is dotted to get you into that long surrender charge penalty period so they can lock your assets up. So you have to understand the difference between hard dollar costs and soft dollar costs. And soft dollar costs are in the prospectus. Soft dollar costs are in the information, but you have to know what you're looking for, and you have to dig deeper, as we've always said from day one on this program. And to really summarize this hour is you have to dig deeper well, and use the tools available to educate yourself yeah, before number, you make that Number one, decision. be diversified. Number two, know what you own. Do the research, dig deeper, as you say. And number three, have a, always have a mind on what it's costing. That's right. Okay, and with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.